Spiders, what is up, gang? Welcome to our first ever <coughs> Q&A, questions and answers, quirkiness and authenticity. <laughs> I'm with my brother, Justin, here. We're going to see how this goes. So, Justin, I'm going to pitch questions at you, and you are going to answer them to the best of your ability. Are you ready? I, well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> okay, question number one. Was Jesus left-handed? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> Was Jesus left-handed? I don't, I don't know. It doesn't If you say. had to guess, <laughs> if you had to guess. No. Okay. <laughs> Biblical evidence. Was the Apostle Paul a Catholic? No. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Big C or little C? <laughs> Did Jesus descend into hell? As the Apostles' Creed states. I do not believe so. Actually. Why? Because uh, if you look at the Wayne Greedham has a, done a bunch of good work on this. So there's there's like a text critical way of answering this. And then there's the theological one. I'll start with the text critical and then go to the theological. So the text critical says there are, there are versions of the Apostles' Creed that go down over the centuries. And the very earliest versions of the Apostles' Creed do not have that phrase in them. Hmm. Uh, if you have Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, he deals with that pretty extensively in one of his chapters on Christology, I think. And uh, so he makes a pretty convincing argument that Jesus descending into hell just isn't part of the original document because it looks like it was added over time. Mm. Uh, but then it also has some theological issues because Jesus himself said it is finished. It, it is completed. The, the work of atonement, the work of redemption is completed on the cross, which is before his death. And therefore he need not pay any further penalty in hell by suffering in hell in order to complete that atonement. So to say that he descended into hell to complete the, um, to complete the redemption, just it takes away from the sufficiency of his atonement on the cross mm. and also contradicts what he himself expressly said on the cross. Um, and so for that reason, I, I, I don't think that he did. So the work of atonement was completed on the cross, right? But mm -hmm. then there was the defeating of death, which came after when he resurrected and was like, sup y'all, I'm alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. But like so what happened between that period of of dying and resurrecting like what i know it's not anywhere explicitly in scripture but if he didn't descend into hell what happened instead was he just chilling drinking a mimosa up with his <laughs> with with big g or i mean there's there there are disputed passages that talk about this so for instance um in uh, first peter chapter 3 it talks about how Christ suffered once for sins, righteous, but the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, and made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience awaited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism corresponds to this, which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, uh, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is probably one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament, but there's mm -hmm. a whole interpretation of this, which I'm not entirely sure that I hold to, which says that it says that he went in the spirit in which he was made alive. So during his basically the intervening period during those three days, he went and proclaimed to the imprisoned spirits and preached his, uh, he proclaimed his victory to them, basically saying, ha ha, I won. Um, <laughs> not quite like that, but you know, you know what I mean? And uh, so, I mean, that's possible. It's within the realm of what the text allows. Um, I don't know that I particularly hold to that view. Mm -hmm. I, I'm more convinced by Wayne Grudem's view on this whole thing. Uh, it also ties back to your view of Genesis 6 and who the Nephilim were. And yep. It's a whole can of worms and 
we've already spilled them all out on the table, but <laughs> suffice it to say, the Bible doesn't say, doesn't give us d- d- direct definitive evidence, so it's the better part of wisdom to zip the lip and, uh, <laughs> and stick with what is there. <laughs> okay. All right. Besides turning water into wine and raising dead people, what would be Jesus's go-to party trick? Jesus's go-to party trick. Besides turning water into wine or raising a dead person. <laughs> I want to say like balloon animals or something like that. <laughs> it's just like comes out of nowhere. <laughs> I don't know. What is the longest theological term you know and what does it mean? Or the most complicated theological term? The most complicated? And what is it? I, there's a lot of them. Um, Pick the best one. The most cliched example is uh, superlapsarianism versus infralapsarianism versus sublapsarianism. Is that when you take laps? <laughs> around the track no not even close okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, um so the this has to do with the decree of god and um and the order of the decrees but their logical order not temporal order it has to do with in what order did god decide to save who he decided to save so super lapsarian means uh, lapse is latin for the fall then supra would be before infra would be during or in the midst of and then after the sub would be after and basically, the idea is, as God, in in his own mind, as he looks upon the uh, the identity of who the elect will be, does he consider the human race as a neutral entity, or does he consider the human race as a fallen entity? Mm-hmm. If he considers them as a fallen entity, then he plucks some of those out of that group who do not deserve to be part of that group. So, so the first there's the decree that the fall would happen and then the decree of saving the elect. Uh, that would be an infralapsarian view, which is what I hold to. Okay. Um, a, a superlapsarianism view would be that God decrees who the elect are first and then decrees that the fall would happen. Mm-hmm. I think that you run into some pretty significant problems regarding the justice of God with that, but there are historical faithful Christians who hold to the view for various reasons, but it's complicated and uh, admittedly a little bit speculative, but uh, nonetheless important and probably never something that you'll ever care about. (laughs) Should I homeschool my kids? Uh, Are you asking what my opinion is or what the Bible says? Uh, What's the difference? (laughs) Good question. So my view, general view on homeschooling, this is actually worthy of an entire episode. Um, it's a really good idea, I, especially given the the situation of just the world and the culture today. I think that there are basically there are basically three options that you have for education of your children these days: public school, which I think is better called government school because they're government workers. Yep. Then you have private school, which is expensive most of the time, and then you have homeschooling. Um, you also have like charter schools and, you know, things that are kind of in the spectrum, mm-hmm. uh, amongst those things, but those are the basic three, three options. I think what needs to drive the decision is the recognition that there's no such thing as a neutral education. Education will always be pursued from a particular standpoint. And if the particular standpoint is that of a godless secular worldview, then you're going to learn math in a different way than if you had a God centered worldview. Mm. Um, you're going to learn history in a different way, in a different light, in, in the God-centered worldview, uh, math is an expression of the orderly mind of God. 
uh, which is then expressed in creation. And, I guess I must not be very orderly. Yeah. <laughs> but then history is, the, in, is an expression of the providence of God. You know, theology becomes necessary in the controlling thing for all the other subjects. It becomes the queen of the sciences, as it should be. But uh, in the secular worldview, math is unexplainable, but cool. Um, but and useful for <laughs> useful for our own purposes. History has no point. There's no purpose. There's no place to go. So it's just a very different uh, way of approaching it. If you if you homeschool, you can incorporate that. If you if you public school, you your children are not going to get that from their public schooling. You have mm-hmm. to supplement with it, uh, and you're always going to be fighting upstream. It just creates a lot of difficulties that you have to overcome. Not that they're unovercomeable. Uh, but that the, it's just it presents a whole slew of things that it's not just as simple as like, here, go to school and learn mm-hmm. and then come back and we'll be a family. Like, it's not that simple. You need to be more involved in that. And just uh, the unfortunate reality is that many parents don't care enough to actually be involved. Sure. And I think some parents are like, I think it really depends. I mean, generally, as a rule, I'd say. You should probably homeschool your kids, given the sociocultural milieu in which we find ourselves. Mm -hmm. But if you actually can't, like if it's not feasible for you, then, you know, I'm not going to burn you at the stake for sending your kids down the street to Greenview Elementary School. You know, like Mm -hmm. there's nothing morally reprehensible about it. But I think you should take a take an active role in your children's education and be like, what did you learn today? What's what's going on? What did uh what did what's her face say you know did you have a good time and then like teach your children scripture and yeah the worldview that and also model that for your kids and don't just like sit down and be like this is how it is but like live that also yeah because children learn not just from you telling them what to know but also how you act and imitating how you act so yeah there's also significant challenges with homeschooling you know you need to be able to teach your kid Thing, subjects like math and history and science and, and there's chemistry. also like co-op you and, know and there are other ways of doing so it so you don't have to know everything right but the, it does present a challenge where you are the source of information yeah at, 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 at the core which requires more work it requires a lot more investment but i think the investment's worth it and uh, i think that in families where homeschooling has been the norm you see that investment pay off pretty significantly besides their social skills <laughs> which also is not i think that's kind of a misnomer <laughs> i mean i remember seeing a a, a meme of like <laughs> uh two kid two moms and their kids uh, at, a, at a school bus stop and one mom is saying those homeschool kids are so weird you know so and then the bus comes and say all right johnny and he's wearing you know he's like you know got the multicolored hair and it's obviously <laughs> just like completely messed up yeah, <laughs> according yeah. to you know what the worldly standards say mm-hmm. kids should be these days and it's i just i don't think that it's true that, <laughs> that yeah public school kids are more socialized than homeschool kids i i just don't think i don't buy it justin yes. time for a game we're gonna play name your kids bible style <laughs> so you have to choose between three names if you you had to pick one of them to name one of your children okay you ready i'm ready number one maher shalal hashbaz number two nabu kaduru user the second number three 
Zafnath Pathania. <laughs> if you had to pick between the three, which one would you pick? What was the second one again? Mahershal El Hashbaz, number one. Nabu Kaduru Ursur, number two. And uh, Zafnath Pania, number three. I kind of want to pick the second one because it has the word Nabu in it. I like Nabu Kaduru Ursur is the uh, the not Hebrew name for Nebuchadnezzar. Ah. So I guess your kid's going to be eating grass. Kind of like the three guys, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Abednego. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what, what would the nickname be for Nabucodonosor II? The second and Nabu? I don't know. Nabs. Nabs. N dog. <laughs> Uzi. You're better at this than I. <laughs> this has been Name Your Kids Bible Style. Name your kids Bible Style. Very good. Last question: What the heck is a hedge of protection, and why does my weird aunt keep praying for one? <laughs> 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 you can buy them at Home Depot. <laughs> they come with little trimmers. Is that where the movie Over the Hedge comes from? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so where does that where does that come from? Oh, the, the hedge of protection I, I thing. Uh, maybe Job one ten. Uh, have you not put a hedge around him and his house, and he all he has on every side? Is that a biblical thing to pray for? Be like, God protect me. It's not a bad thing to pray for. No, I don't think so. It's just kind of like weird, I said, cliched, and and weird stuff that your weird aunt prays for. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Torchlighters Q and A. Thanks for joining us. Hope you had some fun. Hope your questions were answered, and I hope you can come back next time for more questions to be answered and more fun to be had. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time, Justin. Adios. Q-A.